We're going to open up our scriptures, our our Bibles, to Luke 4. Luke 4, 14 to 30. And as we're riffling and flipping through our Bibles, let me lead you in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this morning that we can gather together to look over your holy word. We thank you for these scriptures written so long ago in a different language, in a different culture, to a people group uh, most of us don't understand very well. And we ask this morning for a translation across time and culture and, and um, language that you would speak to us by the power of the Spirit that inspired the authors to write these words long ago. That same Spirit within us would help us to understand these words today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 4, 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you do in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, but not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy scriptures this morning. I want to ask you a question as we get started. Has there been a time in your life where what you were expecting to happen kind of changed in a moment? Maybe it was an interaction with somebody that you you thought was going to head in a certain way, uh, but ended up changing along the way. Maybe it was a, a moment that you thought it was going to turn out like this, but turned out like that. Maybe for the good, maybe not for the good. I'll give you a couple examples, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at Scripture, and maybe you can think of your own example and share with me in the hallway. But I was rock climbing outside for the first time in 20 years, two weeks ago. This is my new thing. You know I used to swim and, and run and bike and all that stuff, and I still run a lot, uh, but I've been rock climbing recently. We've, we live down the street from an indoor rock climbing gym, and so I went outside to an actual rock face in Milton, Ontario. Has anybody been there? 
climbing uh, Rattlesnake Point, which was an amazing, wonderful time. And, and so the, the cliff that we were climbing is 60 feet tall. And I'm not a great climber. I know I look like it, but I'm not yet a great climber. I'm not going to free solo Yosemite this year. I've got a little bit left to learn. Anyway, so I, I get tired fairly quickly when I'm climbing, so I, I make sure that along the way I can take rests and spots of, 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 of times that, that you can... So what you're looking for is a nice, you know, a place to keep your feet nice and a place to keep your hands nice so that you can rest your hands and you can rest your, your legs because your hands and your arms get really exhausted when you're climbing uh, uh, rock faces, obviously. So I was 20 feet up and I knew that there was another 40 to go so I, I paused and put my feet on a nice place, and there was a huge crevice right in front of me. So I put my hands deep in the crevice to just relax. I just wanted to hold my hands there, and then when you hold your hands there and you feel secure, you can kind of rest the arm and then rest the other arm like that, and then you can just sit there. And then I was going to go the next 15 feet I could see were very problematic, very challenging, and I was enjoying the day, very excited about this time to just rest and just be there. And as I put my hands into the crevice, the crevice spoke to me. Like this. What is that animal? I'm thinking Ewok right away, but I don't think that's what it was. I don't know what it was. So, I, I, you know, then you get a little nervous. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to bother what that is anymore. And I put my hands here on the outside of the, the crevice, and it continued. It kept yelling, like that. Maybe it was Gollum. I don't know. The more I do the impression, the more it sounds like Gollum in my brain. I'm pretty sure it was something that wanted to eat me. That's, that's all I know. It was, it was scary. And guess what I did not get in that moment that I needed? rest. I did not rest at all. My arms got really tense, and I actually could not finish the climb. I wanted to finish the climb, but I couldn't finish the climb because it was, it was what I was expecting was rest, and what I got was just my nerves going crazy. This is kind of one of those stories, as we look through Scripture, of just a real shift in what people were expecting to what they got, what they're expecting to what they got. And in Nazareth, uh, Jesus shows up. He's the hometown boy making good. He's the guy that, that people start rallying around and getting excited about. And they, they think, this is, this is the guy. So let's set the stage for this, this interaction so that we can understand it a little bit. The place in Scripture, as you know, that, that Jesus unfurls and reads out is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 comes at the end of a long, long bit in Isaiah. If you know Isaiah's uh, prophecy at all, you'll know that the first 39 chapters are pre-exilic. In other words, they're, they're anticipating what the exile will look like. There's, there's things going right, there's things going wrong in Israel, and finally at the, at, at, in Isaiah 39, uh, Hezekiah lets the envoys in from Babylon, and Isaiah 40 is like, a long time after Isaiah 39 when they're in exile. So the, the Israelites have gone from pre-exile into exile in Isaiah's book. And then Isaiah 40 through 55 is explaining how to get out of exile, what it will look like to get out of exile. And in that time, 
in the Isaiah 40 through 55, we have the introduction of a character known as the servant. And the servant is a fascinating character in the Old Testament because he's never fully defined. At times he seems like he's Israel, and at times this same servant seems like he's representing Israel. So there's that wonderful passages all through there, Isaiah 40 through, through 55, that's during the exile and what it will look like. And then Isaiah 56, forward is post-exilic. In other words, what it will look like when we return from exile, what we will be. And this servant character in Isaiah 61 takes up the mantle of the one overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and says the words that we heard this morning, the Spirit of God is upon me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the captives, this wonderful outlook of what it will be for Israel. Now, why is he saying all this? What does all of this mean? We have to understand why Israel was in exile to begin with. And Israel was called, I pretty much do this every time I'm here, but that's all right, I say it every time I speak. Israel was called to be the blessing to the nations, Genesis 12. That's their base. That if you start there, and that's, that's what they're supposed to be. I will bless you, Yahweh says to them, and you will be a blessing to the nations. And so that's their calling. So everything past Genesis 12 into the Old Testament and obviously into the New is an anticipation. Will they live up to their calling? What will it look like when they live up to their calling, and can they do it? You have a highlight moment of Joseph's story at the end of Genesis, where the blessing through the obedience of the one Israelite, the one who interpreted the dream when his life was on the line, the one Israelite, through his obedience, the blessing doesn't just go to Egypt, the blessing goes out to the nations. So through the obedience of the one Israelite, Joseph, the, the blessing goes out to all the nations. And then we have a way that it looks like Israel will be the blessing to the nations. But what's the next scene in the, the Old Testament is Exodus, which is, means a few hundred years later, Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, forgot about this Israelite family that was blessing them. And now they're all enslaved. They uh, get drawn out of Egypt, and that's an amazing, wonderful, redemptive story of Yahweh loving and rescuing his people. And then we have the up and downness of, of Israel's story beyond that. Will they be in the land? Will they bless others in the land? Will they want to be like the empires and have their kings? Or will they be like God's people and love everybody else? And they have highlight moments and low light moments, often in the same king, David, for example. So we have all of this going on, and the whole point of that whole story is to be the blessing to the nations. And at some point, Yahweh started to be frustrated. Frustrated that the people of God, instead of blessing the nations, were blessing themselves. They were holding on to the blessings for themselves. They saw the temple as theirs. They saw the Torah as theirs. They saw the very Spirit of God as something they could hold on to as their own. And Yahweh said, enough. I need you to worship me and only me and not those things I've given you, the temple, the Torah, and the land. 
you're not going to worship those things, you're going to worship only me. So he brings them out of the land, away from temple, away from Torah, so that they would just be with God himself. They're in exile. And we have highlight moments of that going well in the story of Daniel. But most of what happens in exile, it doesn't turn out well. So then they return to the land after the, the, the Nebuch, uh, or after the Nehemiah uh, rebuilding of the temple stuff, and they're back in the land. And Malachi, the final prophecy in the Old Testament, ends with, we're back in the land, but we haven't got any of the blessings of God. In other words, all of the ways that we understand exile to be over is not over. And what we had after that is a continual oppression in, in ancient Israel. We have the Greeks, we have the Romans, we have the Seleucid Empire, all crushing ancient Israel. And by the time that Jesus is born, the Romans are there. And they're crushing ancient Israel. They're, they're holding down the people of God from being the people of God. But the people of God are anticipating that it will be different soon, that somehow we will break out of this oppression, and the way we're gonna break out of this oppression is God. God will enter this world. The Spirit of God will enter this world. He will renew his temple. He will call the people of God afresh. So what do we do as the people of God? We, the people of God, will demonstrate to God how different we are from the nations how different we are from the nations. We will demonstrate through Sabbath regulations, through holiness codes and food regulations, through all sorts of spiritual things that we go to the temple and everybody else doesn't. They will uphold that they are the true people of God and everybody else isn't. Now, the question is, does that bless the nations? when you are so focused on yourself and your own holiness and your own blessing, does that bless the nations? And what's the call of Israel? To bless the nations. So then we get to this passage. And we get to hear two different responses to the exact same words. Because Jesus opens up the scroll. And he opens up the scroll and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you could have, at that point, anticipate in the reaction of the crowd, yes, this is the moment we've been waiting for. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And they would have said as ancient Israel, we are poor ancient Israel. So that's to us. He is sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Who are the prisoners in every Israelite story? The Israelites. And so they're like, yes, this is us. We're about to go free. Recovery of sight from the blind. That's picking up that, the, the, the prophecy in, in Isaiah of can't you see, will you, you will not see. That's, that's the, the calling of uh, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, that you will preach so much that those who don't get who God is will be blind to what he is saying. That's what, that's what he's picking up there. So when he says the, the recovery of sight for the blind, meaning the people of God will see again. So they get very excited. And the final thing, that, they will, that the servant will release the oppressed by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jubilee. He's going to proclaim Jubilee, that moment that none of ancient Israel ever lived up to, that Sabbath of Sabbaths, when everything is returned to the way it should be, that all debts are removed. It was going to be a big celebration and a big moment. And when Israel heard this, when the town of Nazareth heard this, they got excited. They're like, yes, finally, our time is coming. Our time is coming. We are going to be set free. We are not going to be blind anymore. We are going to be released from oppression, and we are going to celebrate Jubilee. And they celebrate this Jesus. Wasn't this Joseph's son? How could this Jesus do this? This is amazing. Celebrate hallelujah. And everybody went home and had cake and coffee. But Jesus wasn't done, was he? Because the we of the celebration missed the us of celebration. When ancient Israel celebrated that all of these things were for them, Jesus' heart broke. You didn't get the lesson of exile. You didn't get the lesson of the Romans. You didn't get the lesson of Yahweh. And he starts expounding stuff, and they're celebrating him right now. This is a weird moment. I hope you get the weirdness of this moment. They're celebrating him. They're saying, you are the one. You are our prophet. We'll follow you to death and beyond. We're going to go everywhere you go, Jesus, and we are with you. And then he just keeps going. He's like, no, you're missing this. And he says, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. And, and they must have been like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't know if you ever feel like that during a sermon. No. no. Not when you're here, sir. We follow every single one of your words. Can you go back to more rock climbing illustrations? I got those. Um, Anyways, so what is going on is this, is that Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, you aren't getting what I'm saying. You don't understand what I'm saying. I know that's hard to believe. So he says, you don't get what I'm saying. You don't understand what I'm saying. You're saying, you're going to say, physician, heal yourself, because what I'm about to say is going to mess you all up. He's like, okay, what are you going to tell us? Here we go. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And they're like, we are accepting you. And he's like, yeah, because I'm about to get prophetic. (laughs) Right? He's kind of preached and they kind of liked him. That's called populist voting. Anyways, the idea that, that, that you just say what the crowds want to hear. Jesus was not doing that. He wasn't trying to be a populist. He was trying to be a prophet. And he would say, a prophet is going to not be accepted in their hometown. Why? Because he's about to anger the hometown crowd. He got all the reception that anybody would ever want. He got people understanding and loving him and welcoming him and wanting to follow him no matter what. And he's like, but that's not my true message. I don't want you to just love me. I want you to understand the fullness of message. And here's the fullness of the message. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. 
And there are many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. What has Jesus just said? He said, my message is not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And if Israel thinks it's just about them, they will actually get in the way of the message. They will actually get in the way of the message. The message is for everyone. The message is not just for you. And this strikes to the core of ancient Israel. Because if you reread the passage through the lens that Jesus has just given them, it's pretty hard to hear what he just said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, even the ones, ancient Israel, that you made poor. Even to the ones that you uphold this system of economy that keeps people away from getting things they need. And if you walk through the Gospels, you'll see all of those people. You'll see all of the people that were held back by the ancient Israelite way of being holy. The man with, with, uh, who was carried by his four buddies to the front of Jesus. The woman with bleeding for 12 years, Jairus' daughter, all of these people, the 10 lepers, all of these people were held back from entering into Israel because they were impoverished in some way, they were unclean in some way. And Jesus has just said, that's got to end. You can't hold back people any longer. They have to be able to enter into this space of God. The way he said it when he overturns the temple tables is my house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. But you made it a place where you talk about them. You made it a den of robbers. In other words, a place where people come and gather and chat about the nations. Those people out there. Hey, those people out there. They're evil, aren't they? They're evil. They're bad. They're bad. Let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya and go home and have cake and coffee. Right? That's what, they were do- That's what he was calling them to. He was saying it's much better. You can do much better than this. Don't hold it in. Let it out. If you're going to say that you are the poor, you also have to see the poor in others. He has sent me to f- proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, all of the people who are prisoners, all of the people who are blind, even the ones you are making prisoners, even the ones you are making blind. And all of a sudden, this gets pretty heavy, doesn't it? Because it gets weighty in places like Exeter and London. Because we don't always do this well, do we? We don't always do this well. We don't always celebrate with everyone. Some of us are really good at at just celebrating what is blessed to us and forgot that that blessing goes out. And the jubilee idea, releasing the oppressed and and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This idea of jubilee, this idea that, that we will release all people from all debts to us. Can you imagine? We have been hurt a lot by many people in our lives 
and we like indebtedness. And Jesus said, forgive as, we for, as I forgive. And, and that means releasing of that indebtedness. That, that, that they perhaps owe you money, perhaps they owe you an apology, maybe they owe you something that they didn't do like they should, and Jesus said, forgive. That's jubilee. That's everybody's back on level ground. Where the, the valleys come up, Isaiah says, and the mountains come down, Isaiah says, and then we're all on level ground. And the level ground, according to Jesus and John's gospel, is actually pretty high. He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. The level ground is enough for everybody to have lots, but those who are blessed often hold on to the lots for themselves. And Jesus challenges us, all of us, not just ancient Israel, through these passages of saying, how are we doing by releasing our blessings? How are we doing by giving away to the others? How are we doing by doing this? I gotta tell you, this is a passage for me just as much as it's a passage for anyone else. There was a guy, I'm gonna call him Don because I don't wanna reveal his true name, who came into our, uh, our, our area uh, probably about three years ago now. The first thing I remember for him, about him was his response to a meal that I was trying to make a healthy meal. Mm. This is not always well received by, by our folks for some reason. I don't know. They like to have a good home-cooked meal, meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy. If you make that, our friends are super happy. But if you make something a little bit healthy, like with chickpeas, Daryl, it doesn't always go over well for some reason. Can you imagine being street level and you end up getting a thing of chickpeas? Do you know why it frustrates people to get chickpeas when you're at street level? You honestly know why? Because when people give away their, their cans of whatever to food banks, what do they normally give away? Chickpeas, lima beans, this white thing of peas. I don't even know what they are. They've just been in the back of my cupboard forever and I'm not using them so a homeless person can. And so when they see a meal like that, they just, they just think, oh, great, this isn't a place of love. So what I was trying to do that night was make a meal of, of something healthy. I've, I've tried to make healthier decisions in my own life, and I was like, okay, let's, let's uh, do this. We'll make a, a couple of salads instead of a meat and potatoes meal. So I made, they were good salads. Like, they weren't just like, there was like chicken salad, and it was, it was good stuff. But this gentleman, Don, we'll call him, sat down, and he looked at what I had made for 150 people, plopped a little bit on his plate, threw his plate up, and said, I'm not a bird! <laughs> he got up, and everybody was looking at him, and he, ah! and he was angry, and he starts throwing stuff, and he marched out. That's my first memory of him. Whew. So my memory of him to see him is to think this guy owes me an explanation. This guy owes me something. I am the one in power and he is the one indebted to me. Nobody treats me like that. Nobody treats me like that. Nobody treats this community like that. We are here to bless you, pal. How dare you treat me like that? That was my initial response. And it actually hung out with me for quite a long time, just 
gnawing away at me. And I would see him downtown and I'd try to say, hey, Don, ah, yeah. <laughs> he would obviously use other words than the ones I'm using today. And it was never kind to me. Uh, but recently, uh, Don has, has, has got into a little bit of a, a tussle with a couple other people. And, and because of this tussle, uh, he, he's got some wounds on his body, all over his body, actually. And they seem to be getting worse. He's got uh, a, such a past of, of pain and loss and things that he's picked up, uh, things in his body that his body cannot heal the way it should. And because of that, these wounds just stay. They don't get better. And when you're street level and you try to go to see somebody in the medical world, it doesn't always work nicely because your assumption is the medical world's out to get you. And I wish it was different, but it's not. So he doesn't go to the medical world too often. So this past Monday, he sat down and he just said, Gil, can you come over here? I said, yeah, sure. He said, can you dress my wound? my one wound, and it was his elbow. So I said, let me go get everything. So I went and got all the stuff, and I started dressing it. And he's like, ah, you hurt me! I'm like, I'm sorry. And I gotta do it better, and I've gotta, I've gotta you know, loosen it up here. And he has to get right involved while I'm dressing the wound to make sure the whole thing is the way it should be. And as I'm finishing up that one, and I've got it all nice, he's like, I also got a, a, you know, one more. And then he shows this thing on his other arm, and it's a big, nasty mess. I'm like, okay. So I start dressing that one, and I dress that one, and he said, I got a couple more. <laughs> and he pulls up his pant legs, and he's got them all down here, a couple more here, and a couple more here. And about a half hour later, I had dressed all his wounds. And during that interaction, our entire life shifted together. He was no longer... Uh, the man who threw the food I made him. He was just a brother. He's just somebody who's hurting. And he's just somebody who needs love. And what I realized about myself is I'm somebody who needs love too. And he was giving it to me. He was being gentle. He was being kind. He was in the midst of all of the things that he had experienced in his life. Still finding ways to be gentle to a person like me. And a person like me to him has meant oppression because of the color of my skin. A person like me has meant residential schools because of my background and my Christianity. But in some way, he was able to be gentle to me. And I feel that that moment was somewhat sacred. And all I can sum it up is I met Christ in that man. I think that's the calling of the church. I think that's what it looks like. I think that we just go out of our way to be a blessing, to take all of the stuff we've been given, all the cake, all the coffee, all the building, all the love, all the stuff that we've been given, and say, here, it's yours too. It was never mine to begin with. It's yours. And Jesus calls us to be these renewed people, renewed by the spirit of the living God that is within us, to say, you can do it better. You can be that blessing that I always asked my people to be. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Let me pray, and then uh, I think we're singing. Lord, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for uh, your encouragement through words of prophecy to say that the way that you give is not just so that we can receive, but so that we can continue that giving. And sometimes we need to be called out like this town of Nazareth, that sometimes we hold on to our blessings a little too much. And we think the blessings are about us. And we need stark reminders like it was when Jesus spoke to them that the blessings are for everybody and they're not to be held on to any longer. Help us with this because it's hard. It's a major transition for us to do this. But we know by the power of your spirit you can make it happen. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.